college in America. It's four years of all-nighters, cake stands, ethnically diverse welcome brochures, Pinterest-perfect dorm rooms, and crushing student debt. I have I had so much to pay, and it, it just was overwhelming. I didn't know how to do it. I never saw a number that big. I just went to school for a few months, found out that it was not what I wanted at all, and now I have this 40000 extra dollars that I have to pay and nothing really to show for it. If I wasn't paying the student debt, oh my god, I would just invest all of my money. It feels like I will have a roommate for the rest of my life because my debt is so much. You can't point at someone and say, this person made your student debt load so much more. It's the whole system. So why is college so expensive and is it worth it? Higher education today is made up of three main sectors. They all bring in money from tuition, but where they get the rest of their revenue varies. Public schools are your state schools, like SUNY or Iowa State. They get money from the government. Private for-profit schools, like the University of Phoenix or Capella University, get money from shareholders. And private nonprofits are those like Yale and American University. They get a lot of their money from donors. More on that later. But choosing a college hasn't always been so complicated. In 1636, America's first college was founded, you might have heard of it before, Harvard University. For hundreds of years, college in America was a pretty exclusive club to get into. But we've come a long way from Harvard's first graduating class of just nine men in 1642. In 2018, more than 3 million Americans were expected to receive a college degree. The demographics of American higher education have been utterly transformed. In 1944, the GI Bill was signed into law, giving veterans money to attend school. The GI Bill of Rights looks after the money end, too. That's right. Tuition is taken care of, funds are provided for laboratory fees, books, supplies, and equipment are included. Just a few years later, nearly half of Americans enrolled in college were veterans. You cannot underestimate the GI Bill. This educated an entire generation of men, and some women too, and it opened the doors. People who hadn't even thought that they might go to college. The GI Bill changed what American families could aspire to. But not everyone was able to take full advantage of the bill's benefits it was significantly harder for women and people of color to get the tuition money and enroll in college because of the widespread discrimination by both schools and banks. Dateline, Russia, October 4th, 1957. In a moment, the story. In the 50s, a little beach ball-sized satellite launched into space by the Soviet Union had a big impact on the American education system. The first Sputnik. People were worried about this clash between the Soviet Union and the United States, and suddenly it was popular to study science and math. It was patriotic. In the 60s, the civil rights movement helped push the doors open even wider to give women and people of color access to higher education. 
In those years, students at University of California schools paid less than $1,000 in registration fees, no tuition if you were a resident. But with the 70s came the taxpayer revolt. If you want something, you pay for it. Don't expect me to pay for it. It's your problem, not mine. And so what happened was the student loan uh, process exploded. And then came the U.S. News and World Report. It was one of the luckiest or most ingenious uh, publishing decisions ever. In 1983, U.S. News and World Report published a list of America's best colleges. It became a highly data-driven ranking. Every one of the criteria that U.S. News used depended on name recognition, traditional quality, prestige, and most of all, wealth. Rankings played a big thing for me. I was an athlete, and so I was pretty competitive. There have been a ton of new lists since the 1983 ranking, but the U.S. News and World Report still reigns king, and colleges keep a pretty close eye on it. If you ask them, they will say they pay no attention to it, but within the conference rooms of admissions offices and provost offices across the land, uh, I can assure you they pay very close attention to it. One thing they're paying attention to are their test score averages. By the 90s, college started boosting base tuition and using the extra money to give merit-based scholarships to kids who tested well. The chief data strategist at U.S. News & World Report downplayed test scores as a major factor in their ranking, saying it's less than 8% of the methodology today and that, quote, we've seen schools perform best in the rankings if they emphasize and perform strongly in student outcome areas, like graduation and retention rates. He also said they further decrease the weight of SAT and ACT scores. Tuition costs at both public and private colleges have doubled since the late 80s, even when you account for inflation. Even so, more Americans are getting college degrees. But state funding for public universities has taken a hit. States spent less on higher education in 2017 than they did in 2008 before the recession. And that means students are spending more. The tuition they're paying is a big moneymaker for colleges. 2017 was the first year ever that most state schools got more money from tuition than they did from government funding. If you're sitting in the state legislature and you're looking for money, the university system is one of your biggest costs. So when you realize, well, we cut them 2% last year, they didn't go out of business, let's cut them another 2%. What happens is you pass the buck. It goes from the taxpayer to the student. The average student graduates with about $37,000 in student debt. Altogether, the U.S. has $1.5 trillion of it. had this mindset that I was going to go to college, undergrad, and then I was going to go to graduate school and get my PhD. I thought that I would get through it and then come out on the other side with a job and then be able to pay it off, but that did not go according to plan. Rachel Brandt got her undergraduate degrees in math and economics from Iowa State. Then she moved to New York to pursue her master's in economics. She left grad school after her first semester to better cope with mental health issues she was going through. I thought that I would just withdraw and be fine, but then a couple weeks after I withdrew, I got an email from the school saying that I owed them $6,000 right away. And that was rough. 
So I didn't know how I was going to pay that. And that was very stressful. Three, four, five, six, seven different student loans that all have to be paid with different interest rates. The number just keeps going up. I will be paying $867 in rent a month, and that's about how much I'm going to have to be paying in loans. I look at my bank account every day, and it's very scary. Rachel is far from the only one not to finish a degree she started. Only about 57% of undergrads complete their degree within six years. One option students turn to for a more flexible and at times more affordable path to a degree are for-profit colleges like University of Phoenix or DeVry University. The industry has been in flux, but today a little more than 900,000 students attend for-profit colleges in the U.S., many of whom use federal loans to help cover the cost. I felt like I wanted to do something practical that would, that would clearly lead to a specific job. The Art Institute of New York City was suggested to me. Now, <laughs> I really regret that it was because um, it turned out to be ter a terrible financial experience. Despite for-profits being just a small fraction of all colleges in the U.S., for-profit students default on their student debt at a much higher rate. China is a first-generation college student from New York who studied web design and interactive media at the Art Institute of New York City when it was run as a for-profit. I withdrew from the school. That was something I could have entirely taught myself using tutorials. For-profit schools date all the way back to colonial times. Not everyone could attend institutions like Harvard. So entrepreneurs saw a business opportunity and began teaching reading, writing, and trade skills for a fee. Benjamin Franklin was a big fan of for-profit schools and the practical skills they offered. In 1994, University of Phoenix's parent company, Apollo Education Group, went public and laid the groundwork for the for-profit education corporations of today. But this big business approach to education hasn't come without controversy. With so much money on the line, many turn to the schools that show the best numbers, the best chances at a new job when you graduate. But can you believe what some of those for-profit colleges tell you? When I went there for the so-called tour, um, it was it was basically a sales pitch. That should have been a red flag, but it wasn't because I was 18 at the time and not having parents who were who uh, completed college. You know, being a first generation student, it's like I didn't have the discernment to just leave those kind of schools alone. The Art Institute did not respond to a request for comment. However, the director of Cato's Center for Educational Freedom defended the for-profit system, saying nonprofits make a lot of money too, they just distribute it differently. He said traditional colleges often use it to, quote, make the lives of people working in them more comfortable. He also said everyone in higher education is almost certainly seeking profit, and there is little evidence that people in for-profit schools are less focused on students' best interest. Since China left, the Art Institute of New York City, along with 43 other Art Institute campuses, shut down. There are a number of lawsuits against various campuses. However, China's not able to qualify for loan forgiveness because she left the college just before the cutoff date. 
and she feels trapped. Since she hasn't paid off her student loans in full, she's not able to get her transcript, and she needs that to apply to state schools. So for now, she's enrolled in another for-profit school in the hopes of using the degree to apply to a master's program at a state school. I feel like uh, these for-profit schools, they prey on people who already come from low-income backgrounds. Enter the nonprofits. Amari Lilton is from St. Louis, but went to undergrad at a private college in Chicago. Now, she works at an advertising agency in New York City and is paying off her more than $40,000 in student debt. You want to have the college dream without the student debt because you're just coming into something and you feel like, I'm going to have all this independence, I'll be able to pick my own classes, I'll have this freedom I've never had before. So you want to go to the, the coolest place you can. Every college wants to be the best. They want to compete with the next college. They want to attract the top students. That means they have to have the best facilities. They have to build new buildings. And remember tuition discounting? While the sticker price of nonprofit colleges are rising, so is the tuition discount rate. The price you see on a college website is higher than what many students end up actually paying. You would think that most of the money is going to the cost of running the school, but nearly half of undergrad tuition at nonprofits goes to help other people pay for their schooling. Amari didn't pay the full price of tuition at her private college, but she's still facing more debt than she was expecting. I just cried. Yeah, I just cried because I had no clue how I was going to do it. I dream about it. <laughs> like, it's always in my mind. Say I'm like going out to lunch and I'll just say like, oh my God, I hope this goes through because I know they just took my money out. Like, I just hope, I hope. I want to double my payments by the end of this year. So $2,000 a month. My um, goal is to not go into my 30s with debt. If I could go to Wells Fargo and say like, I want a portfolio with all my best investments, like help me out. They wouldn't take me seriously because I have $250 in the bank. So where do we go from here? I've been studying this for a long time and advocating for reform. And this is the hardest type of problem to fix because it's structural. It's all of us. It's the whole market. Jarrett Freeman ran for New York State Senate in 2016 when he was just 26 years old. I declare my candidacy for New York State Senate. And a big part of his platform was education and student debt. I was actually on campus and I saw that I had so much to pay and it, it just was overwhelming. I didn't know how to do it. I never saw a number that big. Americans are becoming less convinced that a college degree is worth it. In 2013, 53% of people thought a four-year degree was worth it. In 2017, only 49% of people thought so. I think that it's so ingrained in your head that you have to go to college, that college is the next step after graduation. I think in hindsight, I see that uh, college is not for everyone. Overall, I feel a little jaded about college being worth it for everyone or for at least for certain students directly out of high school. Knowing what I know now, um, I would have even taken a few years off before I went to college. There's this like idea that 18 year olds are supposed to know what they want in life. And now that I'm turning 25 tomorrow, I still don't know exactly what's going on. That mindset could be a problem for the future job market. It's expected that by 2020, 65% of jobs in the U.S. will require people to have some college education to even be considered. 
So there are a lot of jobs that require you to spend some money on school before they'll pay you to work. In many cases, that sum is a lot of money. Student debt is a national crisis. Unfortunately, we don't have bills on the floor that are actually addressing this. The reality is there probably isn't just one solution that's going to solve everything. It'll take a lot of different approaches, and different approaches are being tested across America. One of the proposed solutions is an income share agreement. Essentially, instead of taking out loans, students could agree to repay an investor a percentage of their income for a set amount of years after they graduate. The idea has support from politicians on both sides of the aisle, and some schools are starting to test it out. In New York City, Governor Cuomo implemented a program that gives middle-class residents free tuition at select state schools, and some billionaires like Bill Gates are giving their own money to try and fix the system. And of course, there's the idea to offer free college. I do not agree with free college. I think that when you give someone something for free, they do not realize the value of it. And that's just my opinion. And I think that there should be some cost associated with it. Free college is a great idea. I am fully supportive of free college. The catch is, who's going to pay the bill? In other countries, taxpayers foot most of the bill. So instead of paying student loans later in life, you're paying higher taxes. Roughly two dozen countries across the world provide free or almost free college to its citizens. The solution probably won't be that simple in the US, but with student debt rising and the need for a college degree becoming more and more important, the future of American education depends on figuring this out.